0: Okay, again, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the epistle of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 8 this morning. Let me read verse 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God. Of God in truth just as you learned it from a papyrus our beloved fellow bond servant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf and he also informed us of your love in the spirit let's pray father this morning as we come to the Word of God we thank you that we're able to come to before you because of what Christ has done and as we come to the Word of God we know, Lord, it is your word. It is authoritative. It's, it is everything we need for life and godliness. It is, Lord, what you have given us on this side of eternity to learn what we need to learn about what you have done and what you're doing and what you're going to do. And, Lord, not everybody knows that, but your believers, your children know that. And because they know it, they gain understanding that no one else has unless they have Christ. So Lord, thank you for those things, and bless us as we look into this portion of Scripture this morning. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, if, if, since you've been a Christian, if you have not realized this yet, one of the first things that happens when you become a believer is you start loving the Word of God. That's the first new thing that happens. Many new things happen in the Christian life, but that is one main new thing that happens. But the true gospel of Christ did not fit well with the well-known philosophies and the cultic practices that were going on in the time that this epistle was written. The old idea of spirituality drastically distorted true biblical doctrine and the Christian way of life and all the sufficiency of Christ and his supremacy, the gospel will always remain in direct opposition to the words of false teachers. When the truth is practiced and when the truth is placed up Against any error, the light of the gospel exposes it for what it really is. And what it is, is it's false. It's not true. It's just the same old reheated, repackaged system of religion. That's all it is. That's why there's so many religions, because men make it up. And, of course, those systems are inflated. The skill of the teachers are usually they take things from all over the place and synchronize it. They include the commandments and teachings of men. They include philosophical thinking, or which turns out to be just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo because most of the stuff they say they can't really understand. I don't know if you've ever taken a philosophy course. They're more confusing than anything you ever study in school. And yet, that's what is usually included in false teachings. They're also packaged with empty deceptions. They're also laced with idle notions of dietary rules harsh treatment of the bodies, do's and don'ts, all those things go in there. There's nothing new when it comes to a religious system. So then, Christ living in the new body, the church, forms a new, brand-spanking new humanity, and it transforms us and all our own old ideas about life, about God, about the way of salvation, into something quite different. In the simple words... That have mentioned that the gospel makes all things new that is something that you know There's something that happened in your life because new things come and So far we have discovered that our relationship to God is new Our view of self is new our Relationship with people that is also new our entrance into the family of God the church is new Our desire to know the word of God is new. Our understanding of future hope in heaven is new. Our desires for spiritual growth and to know more is new. All because the gospel was shared with us and came into our ears and into our heart. And we repented of our sin and we believed in Christ and we have been following Jesus ever since that day. And since that day, new things have been coming into our life. New things have been happening. And that's where Paul is laying all that stuff out, so believers are secure in their faith. So we already noticed that the gospel instructs us in our new position. And what is in our what is our new position? That we are saints, that we are saints inwardly and outwardly set apart to God, that we're faithful brethren in Christ, that we have a new source, our Father. In verse number 2, we have a new identity that is in Christ, that is our our identity. And those who are now associated with Christ, who are in Christ, find themselves in a new position and a new sphere, that the false teachers and His teaching, because that was one singular false teacher, made it impossible for people uh, to really grow because there was no reason to grow. There's no life there. And it made it possible for people to be comfortable in their old religious system. So there was really no new things going on. It was just a bunch of the old stuff remade, repackaged. That's all it is. So once the believer understood their new position they began to see the change and so from last time we saw that the gospel uh, induces a new progression in life and that progression is a spiritual movement a new development in one's life since they came to believe in Jesus Christ and that progression is seen in people's thankfulness where it says in verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, that this, this sense of gratitude has been given to us by the Spirit of God, where saints are actually distinguished in their character by being thankful for all things, and that includes being thankful for people from all different walks of life, from all different social strata and economic positions and culture and religions standing that that they had in the world, and then they come together in one group, unified group, uh, which is called the church, for one reason because of Jesus Christ. So the power of the gospel is seen in how radical it is. How miraculous it is how superior it is and it exalts Christ so we see who Christ really is and once the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a new heart and new eyes we see people differently we no longer see people through the lens of social economic cultural or their religious standing in the world but when we met Jesus now we see the lost with compassion As people who are helpless in darkness, they're dead in their trespasses and sin, and they need the glorious gospel of Christ to shine in their hearts. And then when we see genuine evidence of of transforming life in a person that received the gospel, then there's only one response that we have, and that's to give thanks. And when we see signs of faith and love where it says in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, we're thankful that their faith is Christ centered. That means Christ alone, nothing is added to him. We're thankful of their love that it is practical, that it is actually showing evidence in one's conversion, not only in word, but in deed. And they're thankful, and we're thankful, that their hope is secure. So there is a progression of hope in verse number 5. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that this hope is the basis for the faith and the love someone has. It is the third of the triads of virtues that the Spirit of God works in our life. And the cause of the apostle giving thanks and we giving thanks is the hope that awaits the believer in heaven, the objective hope hope of eternal life in God's presence in heaven is the fertile soil of which faith grows so hope that we are given is defined as a mighty certainty it is a hope so strong that comes from the knowledge of God a hope here is the realization that you have been called to be a saint that you have been called to be a faithful Christian and that you have been called because of the offer of the gospel to respond to God in repentance and faith. And so God brings his children from an empty, false, deceptive, dead hope to a strong, active, living hope. The hope rests on God's power and his promise because Jesus was raised to life and we will live because he lives. And so... From verse 5 God has stored away an inheritance for us in heaven because of the hope laid up for us there it's set before us it is awaiting us it is kept for a later unveiling for our joy but we already have that hope by faith but we the reality of it we will have when we are with the Lord so it is a treasure that has perfect security. No enemy or thief can reach it. It is laid up where none of the changes of life can affect it at all. The Lord knows that if we were to handle it ourselves, we probably would all mess it up and lose it. No, it's safe in heaven, out of the reach of all that could do with violence. And of course, that brings us to another progression, which I mentioned from last week, and that's the progression of life that clings to a superior source of verse number five. It says, of which you previously heard the word of truth, the gospel. Now, of course, Paul is, is phrasing these things to be a, a subtle attack against the false teaching. That's what he is doing in Colossians. He is phrasing these things specifically. He says, you previously heard the word of truth, the gospel. So the word of truth and the gospel are the same things. It is not a word of a guess. It's not a, a word of a probable inf- inference. It's not your own ideas. It's not the world's ideas. It is the infallible truth that has come to us. And the word of God is truth, and it is plain. There's no hidden meaning that God's asking us to look for. It's truth. It's plain. There's nothing hidden. There may be other things that are true in the world, but God's word is the essence of all that is true. And so that the superiority of the gospel is seen in the whole subject and context that it is true. Secondly, it says in verse number 5, of which you previously heard, that the superiority of the gospel is seen in that it is for individuals, that of which you previously heard. And it has come to you. So the pivotal moment when the Spirit of God illuminated our hearts to hear and to see and to believe the truth of the gospel, at that moment, change started happening. And then the superior, superiority of the gospel is seen in the universal outreach. In verse number 6, it says, just as in all the world. So the gospel is not just for a, a select little group of people. It's for everyone. The gospel was not contained to one locale. Biblical Christianity spread rapidly throughout the known world at that time. Matter of fact, statistics have been done on this. And they said in the first and second century, they estimated there it was already over five hundred thousand converts in that part of the world in which Paul and the apostles were preaching. That's a lot of people, and that increased massively in the next centuries it went into the millions uh and so it's still happening today that people from all tribes and cultures and nations are being presented the gospel and they're coming to faith in christ and we do know historically that all schisms and heresies are usually partial and local that false teachers tend uh to be regional But the gospel goes to the whole world and draws all kinds of people and it's intended for everybody not just for the educated or the religious elite or some special group or some group with superior knowledge no the gospel is for everyone and then notice in verse number six that the superior of the gospel is seen in its fertility it says which has come to you verse six just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So this gospel is, being, is bearing fruit in that it's being spread, but also it is producing something in those who believed it. In the introductory part of Colossians here, we see that God's gospel takes root in people's hearts. It starts growing and producing fruit there. And people set aside the old way of thinking and living and enter into, enter into joyfully, actually, into a new way of thinking and a new way of living. So that when the word of God is received, real Christians bear fruit, all kinds of fruit, holiness, godliness, Christian character, good works, giving, thinking and praising God like they never have before, singing from their heart, sinning less persevering in their Christian walk, no matter what happens in their life. But this also includes growing in personal and congregational disciplines, meaning some disciplines are practiced in isolation, like our own personal prayer time and maybe Bible reading and study, but others are practiced in community. Both of these things are given by God, and they cannot they need to work with each other, not against each other. You can't leave one out or the other out and think you're just going to grow the way you ought to grow. See, God works through each of these disciplines in a very unique way for his children to be able to experience him and change us into likeness. That's why they're there. So the disciple of Jesus is a person who is being continually conformed to the image of the master. He is a person, she is a person, who is constantly changing, growing, knowing. They know that they have not yet arrived, but is continually striving for the goal set before us by the master. The gospel actually presents to us reality. If you want to know reality you become a Christian then you see things clearly the way they actually are and you know where you're going there's a path a new path that you have so this this next thing is not only the gospel instructs us as to who we are but it it induces a progression in our life a forward movement but thirdly this morning the gospel irradiates a pathway for life. Notice in verse number 6, in the middle of the verse, of v- verse 6, it says, even as it has been doing in you, that is the word of God is doing something in you, since, also since the day you heard it. That means the day you actually heard it and it was the effectual call of the gospel, it started doing something in you that day. Now, there's always a pattern in which God uses to grow us. And part of that pattern, it's actually quite simple. The first part of that pattern is this. If you notice again in verse number 6, it says, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it. In other words, the gospel must be heard. It must be heard. One must clearly hear the gospel before one can embrace it in faith. Romans chapter 10 tells us, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And then it goes on to say in verse 17, So faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I don't think we often think about how much and how important it is for us to actually hear things. There's a crisis that is getting worse and worse in our land. It is the crisis of hearing. Because we live in a multimedia, entertainment-saturated culture where television and other media sources have helped to create a society of watchers and not listeners, people who are fascinated by pictures and soundbites, not educated by words. You know, it's amazing that the Lord gave us the Bible in Words. He didn't give us a, a video, a DVD, a cassette tape. He gave it us printed words. There is something about printed words that is powerful that is embedded in your mind when you hear it correctly and you take it to heart. Of course this is not a new crisis with fallen humanity, matter of of history The first step toward man's fall was taken when Eve substituted what she saw. What did she see? The tree was pleasant to the sight, it says, Genesis 2, 9, for what she heard from God, you shall not eat from it. She reversed it. She saw first and then heard, and it plundered the whole human race into sin. So when the Son of God was on earth, His most important ministry was preaching or proclamation of the word of God, not performing miracles. He was saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And to be sure, miracles were important as evidence of his messiahship and proof of his great compassion for the needy. But declaring the word of God so people would hear it was his first priority. And unfortunately, the crowds want to see. They don't want to hear. Even today, people are looking for miracles, and they're not hearing what the Word of God says. They're not reading it to hear what the Word of God says. So how well do you think you are ready to hear spiritual truth? In Scripture, you will find that there is a spiritual connection between The heart and the ear, the parable of the sower that we read this morning gives great evidence of that. Ask yourselves, are you always prepared to listen when you come to church to a worship service? Bible open, ready, even having pen and pad ready or your iPad ready to make notes? Are you all ears always ready to add to what you already know? so that you can put all the spiritual truth into practice. Does that describe you? I hope that is your goal, at least. I hope that is the direction of your life. So the first thing in the pattern that he lays out here in Scripture is that the gospel must be heard. Secondly, hearing is not enough. It's not sufficient by itself. The gospel must have hearing accompanied by spirit-enabled listening. So the spirit of God is the necessary person and condition that we all need to understand or to understand the word of God. So the second pattern of this growth after hearing is the pattern of the gospel must be understood. Notice what it says in verse 6 again which has come to you just as in all the world, also in it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. False teachers claim a corner on higher spiritual knowledge, but... Much of what they teach is really hard to understand. Only only the teachers really know what is being taught. Or unless someone has some special higher knowledge, or in modern-day vernacular, unless somebody is woke, that you really don't understand, only a few understand and a few see. If you notice in chapter 2 of Colossians, in verse number 4, the Bible says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. A persuasive argument could be very convincing, especially if somebody's very skilled in communication. But when the truth is understood, the arguments will prove to be false. Actually, the term understood here means spiritual knowledge received through revelation. It can be fully known. That Paul's use of the strong word is showing that false teachers really have nothing to offer true believers. And you notice what they are actually understanding. It says they're understanding The grace of God in truth. This is what they're understanding. The grace of God in truth. Well, where does that come from? John 1 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in John 1 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then we go to Galatians, and what does Paul rebuke the people of? He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. Jesus brought the reality of grace to us, that you cannot save yourself. No one could save you. Only Jesus can save you. And in saving you, it's free. It's free. So the first point that the gospel is concerning the Son of God, that this is the nerve and the heart and the very centrality of the gospel, that Jesus himself is the good news. Take away the person and there is no good news. There is no message at all. There's absolutely nothing if you take away Christ. Other false teachings and religions, if you can take away the main person, you still have the system. Not so in Christianity. If you take away Christ, there's nothing. Christian people in this modern media age with so much loose thinking Even non-thinking people are basically seeking entertainment. They do not want to be challenged to think. Think for understanding. Actually, many people today dislike definitions of precision. We should think clear about this truth and should be ready to contend with it and even fight for it because if we forsake it, We have no Christianity at all without Jesus Christ. And that Paul is really going to go on in the rest of this chapter later to give us a picture of Christ that is found nowhere else in Scripture. He lifts Christ up to the highest place and gives him the superior place that he ought to have, and the church ought to keep him there. If a person denies Jesus came in the flesh They are a deceiver and an antichrist, the word of God tells us. And that by the very resurrection of Jesus Christ, it enables us to see Jesus as he really is, and for what he is, that is God in the flesh. So without Jesus, there is no good news. There is no hope for everlasting life. There is no freedom from the slavery of sin. People can only take hold of the gospel through Jesus Christ. So by receiving God's gracious gift of salvation, and it is a gift, and that's what they're understanding, that is secured through his son, and by obeying Jesus through faith, is what we must understand and what they were understanding. And once they understood that, they didn't want to let go of it. can't work for a gift, or it's no longer a gift. You have to receive it. Without doing anything, receiving it and believe it, and that's what the gospel is, and that's what they were understanding. What were the false teachers doing? You have to do this, 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 and this to be right with God. Right? Paul is saying, no, you don't have to be do that. What you have to do is understand the grace of God, and grace means that God is giving you what you do not deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve God's wrath and punishment for sin. We don't really deserve, or we we don't really rate anything. But here it says he's given us what we don't deserve, and what is that? His forgiveness based on Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. You add nothing to it, nothing can be added to it. So you know what that means? That in Christ, we already have full knowledge. Chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. It says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's god's mystery that is christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that christians have received a knowledge that is full that is deep that is complete and the gospel reveals a knowledge about the deepest things of god without it man would know nothing without god's revelation man would know nothing in fact in chapter one you're going to find that Paul and a papyrus, the pastor of this church, is going to pray for the people, and this is probably a prayer. This is a prayer we ought to pray for each other. Notice in chapter 1, look at verse number 9 and 10 of chapter 1 of Colossians. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may what? Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And for what reason, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, the gospel must not only be heard, but the gospel must be understood. Because if it's not understood, it cannot bear fruit. It must be understood to bear fruit. And because why? Somebody who has understanding of the gospel, I must be looking for fruit. You must be looking for fruit. And I have this desire now to want to continue to grow in that understanding. So the word of God comes to us in this sense that it is, is brought to us so we hear it. Then we get an understanding. Without the Spirit of God, we'll not get that understanding. And then where does it lead us to? It leads us to continue to learn. Look at chapter 1, verse number 7. The gospel must not only be heard, be understood, but it must be learned. It says this in verse 7, Just as you learned it from a papyrus, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. So we see here that Paul is saying, listen, you learned it from your pastor. Unlike the false teachers, the Lord has given many faithful teachers to the church. You know, it's interesting when you're reading through the book of Colossians, Paul mentions like 12 people in this small epistle. Why do you think he does that? Because it's not about one teacher. It's about many teachers and many teachers who have many gifts. He talks about Timothy, Epapyrus, Tychicus, Aristarchus, uh, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Luke, Demas, Archippus. And then he mentions a woman who has a church in her house. So he's saying, listen, there's many people who are bearing fruit in different ways because the gospel is alive. It has changed people from all cultures and brought them together, and God is using them to build up the church, that's what he's doing. The next epistle that is very similar to Colossians is Ephesians. And Ephesians says the same thing. What does it say? That God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. For Where does that lead us? To a mature group of people. So they're no longer children tossed to and forth forth by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. Now, you know who's behind all that false religion and deceitful scheming? Satan is, because Satan doesn't want you, once you come to Christ, to know any more than you know. He wants you to go do your other things, be interested in all these good things, but don't learn more because then you become a threat to his kingdom. Because part of the the responsibility of a local church is to go into the kingdom of darkness and to take people out of his kingdom with the gospel of light of Jesus Christ. And then if you look at chapter 1 and verse number 23, it says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moving away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, am made a minister. Same thing he is saying here. Don't move away from the gospel. Keep growing in the gospel. Keep hearing the gospel. Keep gaining understanding so you would become strong, that nobody could sway you as to whether this is true or not. When the people say, well, I don't believe the Bible is true, or I don't believe that's the only way. There's many ways to God. You have to be firm in your faith to know, no, 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 that's not truth. Truth is that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way, and nobody could move you. You're so firm, no one could muse, move you from that position. And this guy, papyrus, you don't hear much about him. That's the only time he's mentioned here in Scripture. He was a pastor-teacher. He was a beloved Notice what it says about it. He's a beloved bond servant and faithful servant of Christ. This disciple was so committed to Christ that he's called a servant. Of course, the word servant here is Dulos, which is slave. He is literally a slave of Christ. and the conditions of a disciple is faith in Christ and obedience to his command, that a a disciple obeys his words because of their commitment to Jesus personally and renounces all the material comforts which may hinder their allegiance to him, where Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That means that a disciple This disciple, Epaphras, has bonded himself willingly to the master teacher for a lifetime relationship, that Christ has taken possession of him and owns him body and soul. That should be the same for us, that Jesus always remains Lord of all his disciples. And as time progresses, the disciple becomes more conformed to the image of Christ that they are so now totally identified with him that nobody could move them we know that in the New Testament epistles the disciples became known as the Christ ones we call it Christian today but a Christian a real Christian is a disciple and the disciples a real Christian and a Disciple is a learner, somebody who wants to know. So fulfilling one's call to discipleship is the goal of the Christian. Wherein a degenerate person who has corrupted the image of God is now restored to that image by the miracle of regeneration which transforms the person into a Christian, one who is like Christ. The the degenerate becomes the disciple and bears the image of his master to the world. So Epaphras not only taught his disciples a systematic instruction of the gospel, he continued to pray for their spiritual growth and maturity as addressed in Colossians 4, in verse number 12, where it says, a papyrus, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So that is the prayer for us, that we would hear, that we would understand, and that we would constant be a learner. We never stop being a learner in the church of God. So they learned the the gospel from their pastor, and the Spirit of God, of course, produced the results. And what was the results? The results is that he said, Epaphras also informed me of your love in the Spirit. You know what that says? That the Word of God was understood, and it's bearing fruit. Your love in the Spirit... That you love people that you didn't love before. That you love Christ whom you didn't love before. And that you love the word of God which you didn't love before. And you love those things. So the gospel makes all things new. But it must be heard. It must be understood. It must be taught. Until you and I stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what the gospel does for us. But I want to just mention this. We ought to be hearing the truth and not be careless about our intake of spiritual meat, but use discernment. The Word of God says in 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world growing in this discernment. According to the proverb in the Gospel of Mark and Luke that we read, it says there, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measurement, it will be measured to you and the more will be given to you. So, here, the means of measuring was hearing, meaning that whether you have, evaluating whether you have good hearing or inadequate hearing, this can be really practically illustrated as a result of the preaching of the word of God, that those who have no interest in the word of God are find it uninteresting. And those who desire to find fault find many False in the word of God and those who seek solid truth find it and learn it and those who hunger search for food and they also find nourishment and those who bring faith receive assurance and those who come joyfully are made glad but no person finds blessing by hearing error nor by careless forgetful hearing of truth. There's a promise that the Lord gives us in Mark chapter 4 that whoever has to him more shall be given, and that's talking about hearing properly, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. So superficial hearing is always bad. And how people... Treat the instruction of Jesus is very important. That Jesus wants the disciples to bring a full measure of attention and eagerness to learn. And if so, God will return to them an even fuller measure of the precious saving truth of the gospel because the gospel is always expanding and growing and we're understanding more and more things about it. So the measure you give in your hearing is the measure you get. And the way you give to others is the way God will give to you. But God will give even more to those who hear properly. He will give more desire to hear. He will give more understanding in what you hear. We will be convinced more of what we hear when we hear it. We'll have more personal possession of blessings from what we hear. And we will delight of hearing that old, old message of the glorious gospel and the more of the practical benefits from what we hear. So God gives more to those who value what they have. So we ought to hear it is the wisdom that comes to us from God. We ought to hear well that God's teaching deserves our deepest attention, and that we ought to hear often. We should waste no Lord's Day, nor really any of the teachings that happen in in the church. We should not be absent from them, and we ought to hear better that you will grow less worldly and more holy and more joy-filled and more faithful when you are a faithful hearer. So that's where it starts. It always starts hearing, and then it leads to understanding, and it leads to more learning. That's going to be the life of a Christian. And when you do that, you'll find that the blessings of God comes our way and that we actually do mature, and we do understand, and we do now live out our faith, and we discover mostly that everything is New for a Christian. Everything is new. So what are some things from this section that we can learn? I think one of the things is that gratitude, being thankful, intensifies our soul's sense of dependence on God, that everything we're thankful from or for comes from God himself. Also, we should thank God for others, more on account of their spiritual than their temporal well- welfare. Thank you, Lord, that you saved this person. Thank you, Lord, that you're growing this person. And it's exciting to see growth in a person, isn't it? It's exciting to see that. Also, the essential character of faith, love, and hope should be strengthened and increased with exercise. You have to exercise. And then we need to be casting as much gospel seed to all kinds of people, whoever they are, and we should never be hindered by... Casting that seed to people that we are so different from us that we stay away from them. No, we should cast the seed, and while keeping in mind when we're casting that seed, that throughout church history there has been a vast amount of preaching, but the result has always been the same. Some people believe, and their heart is penetrated with the seed of the gospel. And they bear fruit, and they grow, and they become part of the church, and some do not. So when the gospel goes out, it's going out for salvation or judgment. Those are the things. And so this morning, just look at your own life and ask honestly to yourself, Do you, are you prepared to listen every time the word of God is opened and you're reading, even when you're reading your daily Bible? Are you falling asleep? Do you know after you read it what you read? See, those are the things that you know that you're becoming more disciplined and you're listening less to your flesh and ready in your mind. That's if you have to get up early to be able to remove the distractions so you can read, so you can think, so you can meditate on the Word of God. That's what you ought to do. All right? And sometimes we have good intentions to do those things, but we don't do them. And the flesh wins out. And then because of that, we're not ready. Right? Our ears are not ready to receive truth. Our heart can't receive it and understand it because we haven't heard it right. And then we don't practice it. And then what happens is that we don't feel like anything's happened in our life. And all the newness kind of falls away because we're not doing the simplest things that God's given us to grow us. Ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for, Lord, these simple truths, but ones that we always need to hear over and over again. Lord, make us people that really are attentive to the Word of God. And, Lord, as the Spirit of God is living in us, I pray the Spirit of God, would give us understanding of the Word, which will excite our mind and our heart and our thoughts so we can meditate upon it. And then, Lord, that we would look at ourselves and say, now where can I serve? Where can I bear fruit as the Spirit of God is working in us? And I pray, Lord, that process of hearing, understanding, and learning would never stop. We would always be ready and excited about the Word of God and then be able to turn around and tell it to someone else. Oh, Lord, please do that and make us those kind of people. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.